2: possible to believe, really. In a way, I'm sitting here looking out over the river. We are 24 stories above Manhattan, in the very shadow of Times Square. Mysterious, sinister, wild, fantastic Times Square, where on the one hand you can buy an inedible taffy apple, you can look at a movie that cost $7 billion to make. You can look at a gigantic sign that guarantees that you can get a suntan without moving out of the range of your television set. You can sit right there on your duff, drink your beer, and be tanned in three hours. And you can buy a, a hat that looks like the top of Donald Duck's head with two great big orange ears and a big flapping orange bill out in front. And you can have your own name inscribed in Mother of Pearl, Mother of pearl thread right over the bill, Frank L. Watanabe. Fantastic, And I'm looking out over the river, that old Devil River, and I can see hanging there like a low, sullen cloud, I can see the lost continent of New Jersey. Makes, makes the old blood boil with the desire to, to run, get out there, and just to, just to go, go, go to the far western reaches. It's impossible to believe that, that New Jersey exists, the mythical continent. Have you ever sat Have you ever sat and looked out over the river at those poor lost souls wandering around out there in limbo? I mean, that's limbo. You know that there is a county in New Jersey named Limbo? Just wandering out there and look at it, hanging like a low flying cloud. As was pointed out by James Missioner. That, that that mysterious lost land hangs like a low flying cloud on the horizon. You shake your head, believing that first it's a mirage. You shake your head again, but no, it does not go away. It stays hanging, scudding over the water. New Jersey. It's impossible to believe that it's there. I mean, look at it over there. A steamboat goes past between us and Jersey, a steamer bound... for for far distant ports. And believe it or not, not more than ten minutes ago, I'm sitting here waiting, waiting to go on, and I look out across there, looking at that low flying cloud, that that impossible mirage, that, that incredible creation of man's mind that couldn't possibly exist in reality, New Jersey. And between me and New Jersey, believe it or not, a Chinese junk sailed upstream on the Hudson. Went right past us here. Flying all flags, that high stern reaching up to the sky, a beautiful thing. And sailing downstream with this great big old steamer moving on. And between between us and, and New Jersey, there was a moment of reality and a moment of a moment of beauty and a moment of, of poetry. By George. You'd hardly believe it. Look at it hanging over there. It's incredible. Incredible. On look, look at the tiny spires. I remember one time. Did I ever tell you about the time that I that I rode into a valley in Austria? I'll tell you about this. I had just passed through the Alps and was on my way to was on my way to a town in Austria. And I came down from a long mountain, a long foothill, uh, one of the foothills that crawl up the. The uh, sides of the Alps until finally they break into that, that almost unbelievable thing that is the Alps. And I came around a long bend of the road and lying below me was was a deep, dark Austrian valley. And it was it was about maybe four thirty or five o'clock in the afternoon, and it was very, very early in spring. It was actually late winter, and so twilight and And dusk came very early. It was maybe 4.30, quarter to 5, just about the time when it gets dark. And I came up over the top of this hill and made a a right-hand bend and a great forested road that I was driving on. And below me lay this valley that reached on and on. It must have stretched for, oh, oh, it's hard to judge, maybe 15, 20 miles. It, It kind of faded off in the distance. And down on the valley floor, I could see a river a very tiny, thin thread of a silver river. One of the ancient four-letter rivers, by the way. Almost all the rivers are, get, have four-letter names for some reason or other. The, the, oh, uh, I can name a dozen: Loth, the, the uh, Avon, the. Uh, well, one of the most interesting of all the rivers that I've seen along in that area was the uh, Isar, the I-S-A-R, that goes on up through Bavaria and reaches into the mountains. And these these are flat, low, beautiful rivers. And way down below, I could see that silver ribbon. But the thing that made it what it was, at that instant, at the very instant, was that all around on the hills, the sun had set. And the sun had already set down below in the valley. It was dark. It was dark down there. It was already nighttime. And where I was, it was still daylight. Just that, that beautiful golden purplish haze of daylight and on the edges of the hills all around me it was still daylight and on the far side of the hills which I could see on one slope it was still broad daylight the sun was beaming in and it was a golden day and you could see the the green trees crawling up the side with the shepherds and the sheep and all moving on down into the valley because it was night and they knew it but down below it was dark and I could see a few little lights but I could see that silver stream of the river because it was catching the reflection from the sky and reflecting it back up to me. And it was, it was a sight that... that it, was, it was the kind of thing that you say, this is, it's, it's a mirage. It's, a, it's an illustration. It's an illustration of a fairy tale. And you, you can understand why fairy tales were written the way they were written by the people who lived in that. As you know, most of the fairy tales came from Bavaria. Uh, Hansel and Gretel. Uh, the great black forest tradition, and the, the tradition of, of Heidi and, and the Alps, because it's an unbelievable world most of the time. And, and the people there wander through it as though they themselves, having lived there all their lives, don't believe it either. Just like the New Jerseyites, wandering through that great low-lying fog that stretches on either side of the ribbon of reality, the turnpike. As the solitary travelers look forward from one Howard Johnson to the next, out there in the darkness, you solitary travelers, out there beyond the swamps lie the natives, wandering in their strange native dress. The New Jerseyite, mooing occasionally. I remember once in a while, I used to, years ago, when I, when I had a, I used to do the show from Carteret, New Jersey, late when I was working, late at night. And I would get off the main highway, off of the turnpike. You'd be surprised what lies there. And I would see the occasional shy, roguish eyes of the natives peering at me from the, from the gorse bushes that line those long, pebble, pebble-strewn reaches of road that exist out there beyond the swamp. And I would drive along, and I would try to... Uh, I remember time and again when I would stop the car, and I would lure them close enough to photograph them. And I would... Some of them even got, at one point, two or three of them got so they would eat from my hand. It's a wonderful moment. I would say, and if you sit quietly, don't make any fast moves, you know, no fast movements. Don't don't make any loud, sudden noises. If you sit on a log or you sit on a fire hydrant, say in hack and sack, you sit on a fire hydrant long enough and quietly enough, don't move, they, you, you will find that they will they will begin to come. You you'll see them. At twilight especially, which is the feeding time. And, and you see them come down into the into the light and just just be very careful and you'll find you'll find that, that that well as I said you know it's a low-lying cloud hanging there It's impossible to believe that it's there It's impossible to believe. It's like it's like one of the great you know one of the great problems that faces mankind today, oh we have billions of oh, problems Oh, problems you know you know as a as a race I, I have a feeling that in the end, since problems and troubles are becoming the great burden of the American you know you know why why the rest of the world seems happier than america it's got somebody now it can blame everything on you see and and, and we are history's patsy right now, no matter what happens if it rains. Three days too long in Abyssinia. Ah, them Americans, they are playing with the atom bomb out there. That's what's doing that. And everybody feels happy because you can blame somebody. If, if a river overflows in a South American province somewhere, here, the, uh, them, uh, them Americans, they are playing with the atom bomb there, somebody, them Americans. You notice I make all of them vaguely middle Europa accent. That's just foreign accent. That doesn't mean Argentina. just foreign accent. And, and the point being, you see, the rest of the world is, is walks with a spring in its step now. It has discovered a doll into which you can stick pins. And, and we are natural pin being naturally loving type people who want to be loved more than I feel, along with Clifford Odets, I feel strongly that we should get rid of the eagle as, as the national emblem and we should get ourselves a nice, friendly cocker spaniel as the National emblem, with great big eyes, big round eyes, looking up out of the flag and all he's saying. And, and instead of saying, um, you know, the, the, the scream of the eagle is a fierce scream in the valleys. Oh, I mean, we, we're not eagles. I mean, you're not an eagle. Of course not. Jack Parr, he's not an eagle. I mean, of course not. What we need is, 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 is a nice, big, fluffy, Saturday evening post cover type black-and-white cocker span, you know with big brown liquid eyes looking up from our flag and underneath it the motto, which should be our new national motto, please love me. Just love me. (laughs) And and, you see, a person like that is a natural patsy. He uh, He is going to get a swift kick in the slats every five minutes when he turns around, or even when he doesn't turn around. They'll turn him around, say, turn around, clunk. Every time things go bad, you kick that. In every office, there's one guy who says, please love me. Every office, believe me. And he is the one who has the biggest welts. He is the one who gets the size ten and a half right in the right place all the time with the hobnails. I mean, he is the one who constantly gets it. And since we are the love me people of the world, I mean, you know, just turn around. I mean, <laughs> just turn around there. The rivers are overflowing again. The, the, the plague of locusts. Has hit Estonia again. Turn around, <laughs> and, and we are the. Oh, but of course, this is. We, we must be honest that always throughout history there has been a patsy, and incidentally, patsies are usually ex bosses. Interestingly enough, in 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 the, in the historical sense, uh, England became a patsy, you know, for a long while, and suddenly they were taken off the hook. Everybody was mad at the English. Uh, everybody was mad at Germany for a while. And now it's us. The patsies of the world. Can't you see the... yet yeah, That would be an interesting flag. Peggy would like that flag. I mean, either that or a soft, cuddly kitten on our flag. That would make a nice flag for America, you know. A little soft, cuddly Siamese kitten with with big, liquid eyes looking up. Please love me. Just a little dish of cream and I'll be happy. Or speaking of big, fat, round glowing, warm, liquid brown eyes and spaniels that just sit quietly hoping to be loved. This is W-O-R, AM at FM, New York, right here in the middle of the Big Apple. Aren't right, you got any business there, Don? Come on, let's just... Oh, I care not. I stand athwart the bulwarks. I stand atop the barricades and I shot an arrow into the air and I care not where it landed. (laughs) Give me another one of those arrows and into my, into my, into my bow I shall put this sling. Here it comes, my George. Filter blend
0: makes the difference in taste. Yes, in cigarette taste, the big difference is filter blend and only Winston has it. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should. The reason Winston tastes so good is filter blend up front. Rich, golden tobaccos, specially selected and specially processed for true, satisfying flavor in filter smoking. So remember, it's what's up front that counts. Try Winston for flavor. Winston tastes good like a cigarette should.
2: Just please, I mean, hello, hello, just please love me. That's, that's all that's all I need is just a little love. Will, will someone please call and just say... We love you. Just, we love you. <laughs> you know, and speaking of the problem of love, speaking of, I wish I had, I wish I had some, some, uh, hey, Jan, I'll tell you what you do. Go in the next room quickly, into the library, and get a, a uh, you, you notice where all the classical music is lined up there? All right, I'll tell you what you do. Go in there. Do you know how to look in that file cabinet there? I'll tell you what you do. You go in there and get the... uh... I'll tell you what. Go in and get Wagner's The Ride of the Valkyries. Valkyries. Either that or get the William Tell Overture. I have a very special reason for it. Ominous, deep reasons for it. Speaking of ominous, deep reasons... Has it ever occurred to you, Don, that one of the one of the major problems that man has to face today is what what uh, let's say what we shall call built-in obsolescence? Uh, you know, you, you just like you're you're probably aware that your car has an obsolescent factor built into it. In other words, the men who build the car do so with an actual factor that is built in. In other words, they say, well, now, now this year we're going to build this car with this thing in that is guaranteed that we are making, it is obsolete. We are going to make sure that it's obsolete next year so that this guy will become dissatisfied with his car and that he will then go out and buy another one the year after. Now, that is actually built in. When I say build in obsolescent, I don't mean... You know, most people have an idea that, that progress sort of happens haphazardly. I mean, change happens. That a guy turns out a car and he, he builds the best thing he can build, you know. He builds it just the best thing he can build. And then the next year he gets another... He's, oh, gee, you know, wouldn't it be great if we, if we made the, the grill round this year? And if we made the light square? And if we made the window in the back smaller? And if we made a stripe over the side there? Now, isn't that... I think that would improve that car... This is the way most people think it's done, but it really isn't, you know, not anymore. The way it's done is this. Let's see. I'll tell you, last year we had that diamond-shaped grill there in the back. Uh, Now, would you please get out the obsolescent blueprints for that one? And they find out that for three years in advance, they have already plotted the changes, which will come every year, you see. Instead of going from point A to point Z the first year, in other words, if they think of this, this great new shape, uh, let's say in 1959, and building it in... No, they save that to 1965, and they gradually change the shape in different ways until you finally hit 65. The point being that they want you to be constantly a little bit dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How come they didn't think about the year I bought my car? Well, they did, you see. <laughs> they thought of it three years before. And that's built-in obsolescence. And this is beginning to happen to, to man himself, you see. There is a built-in obsolescent factor. And you know what that built-in obsolescence factor is? What it's called? What I shall call it for you? That is called memory. You see, memory is, is at, at one hand, is the great beneficial thing of man. In other words, what, what do you have in your life? I mean, you've lived, let's say, 128 years, and you don't have much to go. And all you've got is what you've lived, the past, you see, to draw on. And this is, this is it's like a, a book, you know, that if you, if you constantly forget the book as you read it, the book is senseless. In other words, if, if you start to read at page one and you're now at page 274, but you have forgotten every page as you've read it, the story means nothing. It is meaningless, totally. And so memory is, is necessary to give meaning to your life, if there's any meaning at all. But on the other hand memory keeps bugging you. It is it is again you see it's the it's the factor that keeps like like you sit there and you hear some guy he gets up and gives a speech. He says, "Our party is determined this year of all years in the sheer of decision, our party is determined to give rights,
1: free rights to all men regardless of race, creed and color." And that once More man will be on the pathway, the roadway to stepping into that beautiful clean pasture. That clean pasture, ah, that safe harbor that all of us have been striving for in the great American tradition since the very first settler landed at Plymouth Rock. Well,
2: you know, here's here's where memory bugs you. Now, if you're hearing this for the first time, it sounds fantastic. But after the 34th time, she began to sort of itch. You know?
1: Ah, <laughs> that great leader who shall safely steer us into the safe harbor
2: begin to itch, you know. You can see yourself sailing into a safe harbor <laughs> with the leader at the helm pointing the, uh, I am here. And, and and of course this is why what, what I say, memory at one, one hand is a great thing and at the other hand it bugs you. And so it makes you obsolete. You leap up and you say, Oh, come on now. And all the people who are hearing it for the first time says, Uh oh, take him out. Getting old. Take him away. <laughs> You know, that's true. Uh, that as, you, as your memory gets more and more uh, complete, in other words, as you get more and more into the story, you know more and more about the story. And as you know more and more about the story, you are more inclined to snicker at e- each episode as it comes up. Once you begin to learn the style of the author, you see. The author, in this case, being man. And he has his own style. And he's predictable just like every other author is. Because the authors are mad anyway, you see. And so so you, you, you're bugged at one and the same time. And one of the problems, of course, is this built-in obsolescence. What do we do with all the obsolete people? Now, now you are looking at a man, me, right now, who remembers nothing. Strangely enough, do you know that I can't remember anything that happened between... I don't remember, 19, 1953 has disappeared from my memory. If you were to say to me, Shepherd, what about 19? I can't. I can't remember anything. I can't remember one thing about 50. 50- I can't remember. I can't even remember New Year's 1953. I can't remember. I don't even remember writing 1953. Were you? Here, do you remember 1953 clearly? Do you remember anything about it? Do you, for example, do you remember 1947? No. I have no memory. I remember nothing. Which makes me a perfect twentieth century man. I realize that I could very well be a man of the hour. And the minute I begin to remember things, I'm in trouble. I mean I, I can tell I'm in bad trouble. Like like many times ta- I sit in sales meetings or or, or various other gatherings of, of, the, of the of the of the of the optimistic plan of international believers. And I sit in these in these meetings i go to all kinds of meetings luncheon meetings and it's getting to be like a great a great organ sound all the time in my ears everyone is going to plan a big thing for next season everyone has a big big deal going on and i've heard the same thing and i i never see the big deals happen you know i've sat here i've gone to all the cocktail parties that introduce all the new models that introduce all the new big plans operation dynamic we're going to begin the 1st of September. An Operation Dynamic. And then I, I raise my hand and say, well, what, what, what happened to uh, Operation uh, Happy Happy? I mean, Operation Happy Happy. Well, that was the last crowd that were here. <laughs> and each operation, you see, kind of fades off into the darkness. Now, I know that a large number of people are saying, probably listening, saying, "What well, what is this guy talking about? Because I noticed one thing that's interesting. Most people lead lives of a, of a straight-line nature. They walk along a long, narrow, straight line, and they hardly ever look to the right or to the left, really, to see whether or not... Have you ever had the impression that you are in a cartoon? I mean, an animated cartoon, the kind you see in the movies? Have you ever looked at the background in an animated cartoon? I mean, you know, you see, the, you see the dog chasing the cat, or you see the the, uh, the duck chasing the beaver, or you see the mice chasing the bear, or whatever it is. You know, there's always a chase sequence in all these things. Have you ever looked at the background? I mean, just the background. Well, you'll find that it's the same background going past all the time. If you look carefully, the same tree they keep passing. They keep passing the same rock. They keep passing the same ponds. Well, look carefully at the next one you see you ever had the feeling that you sometimes are involved in that same thing, that you might be a character in an animated cartoon, and you were running like mad, and you were passing the same rock, the same tree, and you're involved in the same chase sequence? That, that either you are the mouse chasing the rabbit, or you are the rabbit chasing the bear, and then it always turns around, you know, in any one of these things. That the bear suddenly gets, he gets the upper hand and he chases the rabbit for a while. And then the rabbit chases, and if you'll notice, every one of them ends inconclusively. That you see the two of them running like mad over the hills and dales until finally they disappear in the distance. But nobody catches anybody really in the end, which is as close to real life as you can get. These are true realism, these cartoons. Much closer than, than say, something that Montgomery Clift and... and uh, Elizabeth Taylor, you know, you get this feeling of Elizabeth Taylor, Montgomery, they come together in the end, the music rises, and you have a feeling that you have arrived at an end. Oh, no, life doesn't end like that. After a two-hour session, it does not end with, you know, big music rising, and you walk arm in arm with this chick, you know, into the sun. No, no, what happens when the sun comes up the next day, and the next day, and the day after that? It sort of drizzles off, you see, and the next thing you know, you're passing the same needics time and time again, waiting for the music to go again. Which is, you see, I, I feel that this is why the cartoons have a classical quality, much more so even than the classical Western. A classical quality because they never are resolved. The, the, the rabbit never really catches the mice, and the mice never really catch the cat. They give him a hard time all the way. He's got black eyes, and an old Bafo the dog is lying there in, his, in his, dog, his dog house, his great big teeth, and he gets hit in the face and hit in the eye, and he gets flattened up against the concrete, but he's right there running at the end. And so are the mice, and so are the rabbits, and the dogs, and everybody. And you see them disappearing over the hill, which is exactly the way life is. And the, and the horizon goes constantly past them. Now, it is a matter of style, of course. Style changes. There's the UPA style. There's the uh, Moonbird style. There's the, even the Walt Disney style. All these are different styles. And they seem to be living, but they're all living the same life, still chasing over that same horizon. Now, now you, can, you can parallel the changes of style with the changes of time in man's existence, his history. Sure, we don't dress like an 18th century man now. I mean, the houses look different from 18th, but the same life, you see. The same scurrying, the same chasing over the horizon and disappearing in the distance, completely unresolved. And so, so Beowulf stands up there with his great big old shaggy skin hanging all around, and he swats down the giants and the monsters. He's about the same thing, just different style, see? Well, one of the problems, of course, is this built-in obsolescence. I would like to make a modest proposal, a la Charles Lamb, have you noticed that the littoral is becoming littered with obsolete people? I mean soreheads and curmudgeons. Guys who keep leaping up and saying, Now, come on, will you cut it out? It's getting worse, and you know it. I mean, nothing's happening good. I mean, you're just saying that. I mean, these are, these are getting to be very bad people to have around. So I would like to make a suggestion, a modest proposal, and I want to go on record as, as, as having said... I will stand by this completely... If you hear this on any comedian's LP from here in in, he got it here. If you hear it on the on the Ed Sullivan show, spoken by a friendly comedian who sits on a who sits on a stool and talks on the telephone, he heard it here first. I am making a modest proposal, and I think you'll see immediately the efficacy of this proposal. I propose that all the obsolete people. Particularly, you know, one of the great problems we have today is, is used presidents. I mean, what do you do with a used president? I mean, a man who has risen to the rank of president is at the very peak. I mean, he's at the peak. Where do you go from the peak? You can't go higher than that. And it's sad to see a man actually past his peak. I mean, you know an ex-president has passed his peak. He has to be. I mean, it's like an ex- saint or something. He's an ex-president. He, he, you can't go any higher. You can't. Uh, I mean, you can't be an ex-god. And here is an ex-president. What do you do with an ex-president? Now, each one of us, you see, we can stand each other because we always have the vague suspicion in our minds that our best day is coming. You know, the guy's his best. You don't know that his best day is gone. You see, and we can hide it, but not an ex-president. When you are an ex-president, you are an ex-president but an ex-president. It's like an ex-chairman of the board. You know, when the chairman of the board is finally voted out and put out to pasture, sent off to the chicken farm that he always wanted to have in Rhode Island, and he keeps coming back every third or fourth week wearing his golf pants and making snide remarks, when he sees the sale charts and he walks up and down by the water cooler wearing his green eye shield, when he when just come back from his trip to Europe three days early because he wanted to attend the stockholders meeting, and he makes those silly remarks. I mean, you know, what do you do with an ex-chairman of the board? How you can't go any higher? See, so I have a modest proposal for the obsolete people of our world—a modest proposal that I want you to consider for the ex-presidents, for the ex-chairmen of the boards, and for—and I'll tell you another crowd. What do you do with an ex-big leaguer? I mean, a really ex-big leaguer. I mean, where could Babe Ruth? Or, or, you see, Babe Ruth. After Babe Ruth stopped hitting the home runs, he was a broken man. You know, he's it, it, embarrassing to have around. You know, Babe Ruth. After Babe Ruth stopped hitting the home runs, he was a broken man. You know, he's it, it, embarrassing to have around. You know, really. This is a fact. You know. I mean, I, I remember one time I'm sitting in a I'm sitting in a in a gas station. In a gas station, mind you, in Ohio, a miserable, rotten little gas station, they had one of these little little, uh, dirty glass cases full of old candy bars and, and vulcanizing kits, and it smelled like old oil, you know. It was one of these just a little old crummy gas station that still had hand-operated pumps, you know. And it snorts the old gas into it. I am sitting there, believe it or not, I am sitting on a box talking away an afternoon with an ex-home-run slugger of the National League. Who was not, he did not own that gas station. That's the sad part of it. He was just working there. He was working in a 43rd rate gas station. I'm not going to tell you his name. It doesn't matter, you see, because that's the embarrassing part of it. Everybody wants to know who it was. Because, you see, you want to be in on the wake, and, and anyway, I began to have the feeling that X, that, 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 the, that the built-in, the obsolescent feature is a terrible thing in man. Now, with cars, you know, the old dream, how would you like it if the car that you had all your dreams in, that you thought, yeah, I mean, your whole dreams were poured into this automobile, was to come back and haunt you, that car, and come and drive around and look at, look, and drive right up your driveway and look at you. And you're sitting there in your new 1961 swept wing model, and that, that old 1947 Dynaflow type, the one, that, I mean, the fantastic car that you poured your dreams in, would come and look you right in the eye with its poor old sealed beam headlamp, dimming. It's what happened to us. looks at it. you remember? I remember when I was important to you. And look at you now. And this poor old thing... You see, the thing is that what that makes the automobile a beautiful de- depository of dreams is that we can throw it away. And so we take these old cars and out there in that fabled never, never land, that lost continent of New Jersey, that lost Atlantis. There is, a, there is a, a, a great field of acres and acres. And You know what they do out there, Don? They burn all the old dreams of mankind. All the last year models are burned and crushed and banged out of so that they can't come back and haunt you. But we can't do that with people. Well, I mean, you know, Western civilization and all that, we can't do that. So I have a modest proposal. Here it is. Are you ready to listen to it? I'm going to warn you, first of all, that I am aiming this at idealists. If you're not an idealist, get out of here. I am aiming this at people who have a deep love of mankind and the dignity of man, and that our new leader will safely guide us into a harbor of... Oh, excuse me. I got off the subject there. I, I, I insist I insist that women and children leave because we are dealing with a real problem here now. And all men know more about this than, than the women and children do because women are never obsolete nor are children. But men, oh boy, do they become obsolete and do they know it. Every man I know is an ex-second baseman. Every man I know remembers when he could make a pivot play of one kind or another. Every man I know remembers when he could move with feline grace through the jungle, carrying that mitt loosely, ready to make that, that, that hard, sharp fielding play it short. And of course, using the terms allegorically. I know, son, you don't play baseball, but it's another game we're talking about. Okay. I have a modest proposal. I propose that all ex-presidents, immediately upon becoming an ex-president, let's say the afternoon after the inauguration of the new president, that at proper ceremonials, at a proper reverent time, that the ex-president be completely encased in bronze the way we encase baby shoes, completely encased in bronze to be immortalized and memorialized forever. How much higher can you go than to be a bronze statue? And then you see all the ex-presidents. That would dispose of a lot of problems. It it disposes of the the convention after problem. I mean, it's very embarrassing to have an ex-president show up at conventions. Believe me. Mr. Hoover is very embarrassing to a lot of people just because he's around now. Yes, Truman, all of them, all ex-presidents. doesn't matter doesn't matter how great. Do you realize, it's, it's, it, can you imagine sitting around and talking to, to Lincoln, let's say 35 years after the Civil War, and he's lost his teeth, you know, and he's getting kind of senile. Well, I remember the old days. It's terrible. You don't want it this way. One of the reasons that, that, that Lincoln is always considered a great man in our thinking is that he left the scene at exactly the right time. Believe me. Dramatically, that's why in in the minds of many people, Glenn Miller is still a great band leader, because he left the scene before you could find out otherwise. And, and here, and, and this is not an inhuman remark; it's a realistic remark. So I make a modest proposal that all ex-presidents be encased in bronze, like like baby shoes, and we have a hall built in Washington called the. President's Memorial Hall. And all of the presidents would be placed on 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 great marble statues. And you'd see them there, you see. They'd be really there. You could walk along, you see. There's, there's Hoover, there's Truman. And they're, they're really there. They're encased in bronze, immortalized forever. And they can never... And, and, and exactly at the moment when they were still at their very peak, you see, he was a president when this happened to him. We might even arrange it to have it done 15 minutes before the inauguration of the next president so that we could properly say, this is a president. Do you realize that countless Americans, would it would become a national shrine, a national... What do we do with old dictators? Poor old Perón wanders around, you know, he says, ah, the old days, the old days. It's very embarrassing to see an ex-dictator, really terrible embarrassing thing and, and historical figures could submit themselves you see immediately when, when they become you know when, it, when it's quite obvious that, that they, you know this is no way to go now any longer it's just all you know you've been at the top they could they could they could automatically they could automatically be submitted to a board there would have to be an international board I mean I mean Winston Churchill you know I, I can think of countless men who pay time Petain is a superb example. Poor old Petain, who was a hero in World War I, a great French hero, lived to become quite the opposite. And if if somewhere right along that line he had been encased in bronze, never would have happened, and a hero would have remained on and on and on and on. Can't you can't you imagine? Can't you imagine? Up at, let's say let's say General Motors. Let's say. Uh, Oh, let's say the International Watanabe Widget Corporation of North and South America. It's a gigantic corporation that for years has been the kingpin in the widget industry. An old C.M. Avery Widget, a tough man who pulled himself by his bootstraps out of a mire, the mediocre mud of civilization, who rose to create an entire empire, is now getting a little dotty. And so one day they decide that C. Avery is going to be put out the pasture. And they call him in, and they give him a solid platinum watch. They give him a solid platinum putter. They give him a solid platinum 38-foot crisscraft. They give him a solid platinum scroll. And then they lead him into the next room and encase him in bronze. I mean... It's beautiful and it's think of the problems it solves and, and of course we could have our lesser shrines the innumerable uncles and aunts who long since have outlived their usefulness to mankind the the innumerable you know you know what I'm talking about of course and we could we could all have our little lesser shrines now this is uh, Aunt Teresa here and, and you could have you could have half models made busts you know or maybe just a foot. I mean, if you, if you live in a small efficiency apartment. And of course, the, the beauty of it is, is that all of us could look forward to immortality then. In one way or another. Quick, instant, and it lasts forever. Speaking of the lasting forever, I would like to point out time and tide and the affairs of... Men. Now, let's tune in a bassoon.
1: <laughs> Two beers, a beer must be nicely light, nicely light, with true lager flavor, precisely light, precisely light, lively golden, crystalline clear, and crispy fresher, crispy fresher, Valentine. Valentine
0: beer. The crisp kind of light with true lager flavor. That's the crisp refresher Valentine beer. Enjoy a tall foaming glass full, and you'll soon see why folks have made Valentine the largest
1: selling beer in the East. Hey, get your cold beer. Hey, get your Valentine. Hey, get your cold, cold beer.
2: I just couldn't resist it. There's so many things I can't resist. I, I wish, I wish, I wish I were... Oh, look at that, the lost continent over there. The, the reason I was reminded of, of Austria is that as I sit here and look out the window, I can see the the spire of a church reaching up into that gray, gray cloud that is the imaginary land of the munchkins.
0: WOR Radio, your station for news.
1: What do you hear in the best of circles? Shaver all around, people all around. The pleasure doesn't fade. you get that first beer pleasure each beer through. That's why you hear in the best of circles, Schaefer all around.
0: The pleasure of Schaefer doesn't fade after a glass or two. Your last one's just as rewarding as your first. Schaefer gives you all the pleasure of the first beer every beer through. The pleasure doesn't fade after one or two. You get that first beer pleasure,
1: each beer through.
0: That's why you're here in the best of
1: circles, chaper all around.
0: This is WOR AM and FM New York, and RKO General Station at the time tone 1 p.m. James McCarthy reporting. For up-to-the-minute reports, keep tuned to this station. Now the news. Well, the dark horse presidential candidate of the Republican Party, Nelson Rockefeller, moves into Chicago today for a meeting with his backers. Richard Randall is at Chicago's Midway Airport with Rocky's Welcoming Committee, so we'll switch to you, Richard, for that story.
1: Here at Midway Airport, Chicago, there is great activity and excitement. That's because Governor Rockefeller of New York is headed this way. Lots and lots of Rockefeller admirers are here. They are milling about, carrying banners which read, Draft, Rocky, Who Else But Nels, and the like. Governor Rockefeller comes here to promote the platform proposals he and Vice President Nixon worked out in New York last night, and this crowd is all for him. This is Richard Randell reporting from Midway Airport, Chicago. Now back to James
0: McCarthy in Washington. More news in a moment. Reach for your partner. Swing to the right when the music stops. Give her a light l and has found the secret that
1: unlocks the flavor. Unlocks the flavor. Unlocks the flavor. Rabbit
0: has found the secret that unlocks the flavor. In a filter cigarette. In today's l fine tobaccos can be blended. Blended, blended, blended. Not to suit a filter, but to suit your taste. So through the miracle tip, pure white inside, pure white outside, you get taste, more taste, more taste by far.
1: LM has found the secret that unlocks the flavor
0: in the filter cigarette. Reach for flavor. Reach for L&M. Well, conflicting reports are sweeping Capitol Hill today about a possible East German move against free Berlin sometime within the next 30 days. Although it has been officially denied by top government sources, the thought is still giving a lot of Americans some worry. The man who initiated the thinking on the Red German move is Pennsylvania Democrat Dan Flood. He claims private intelligence sources told him... I was advised by these sources that around West Berlin... The Russians and East Germans, uh, the East German-Russian satellite, have been engaged for several weeks in a progressive and very definite build-up of troops and uh, equipment, military equipment, encircling uh, West Berlin. My information is that these troop concentrations and uh, their military hardware support has been progressing and is continuing to the extent that there is encircling West Berlin now, uh, in round numbers, thirty-five to 40,000 troops. Congressman Flood of Pennsylvania. In other news, Congolese Premier Lumumba is en route to America today for a meeting with United Nations leader and an attempt to quell the growing feelings that he's headed toward the communist camp. Belgian troops, meanwhile, have pulled out of the Congo capital amid derisive cheers from Congolese onlookers. At the same time, U.N. soldiers who are replacing the Belgians started fanning out through the hinterlands where most of the mutinous Congolese soldiers are hiding. The latest word from the Congo came from a U.N. official there who said that in his mind, the Congo as a modern republic has fallen apart at the seams. That's the news, James McCarthy reporting.
2: Signs are everywhere. Let me tell you they are everywhere. Man, you know, as he walks through... The Valley of the Vale, as he walks through this great veil of tears, he begins to learn a little, little something about living, you know. He begins to observe the signs and the portents. He, he, he sees the moss growing on the sides of trees, and he can hold up his finger, and he can detect which way the wind is blowing. Oh, yeah, he can detect which way the wind is blowing, and it is blowing in many directions now, everywhere. Everywhere, the great tidal wave of history is beginning to engulf us. Things are sneaking up in the darkness behind each and every one of us. Every one of us, no question about it. For example, I read a letter that comes from a very simple burger, a simple citizen of Queens. Oh, the signs are everywhere. Oh, friends, I cannot tell you how deeply, how deeply the signs are inscribed into that vast, granite face of man. I I read. A few days ago, the suspicion began to creep along my tendrils that a great event had occurred. And this is 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 a writer from Queens. That a great event had occurred. One very fine morning as I was... As I was cooking myself in the sun, I noticed several very muscular, tightly built birds digging their subsistence out of my back lawn. Their alertness amazed me, and their attitude was that of someone who had discovered a hidden secret and knew very well where the important clues were hidden and was not about to tip his hand. One would have expected one of these creatures to stand up on a rock and announce that he had solved the mystery of existence while standing at attention. Intrigued by this bird, and being of a curious nature myself, I proceeded to find out what species it was from my bird book. I decided, after looking over all the pictures and reading all the descriptions, that it could be only one kind. But the ones I had seen were nevertheless drabber than the book variety. I closed my book with doubt and uncertainty and I left the matter rest there until today. Upon observing three more of these birds, there is no longer any doubt, no longer a shred of doubt. Just a few minutes ago, three birds paraded before my window. One, a metallic green, as seen in the book. The other two were drab brown. I had seen these before. Yes, Mr. Shepherd, today we must celebrate, or perhaps we must go down on our knees. The starlings have come to Forest Hills, and they're bigamists too. So don't, don't, don't. Oh, the signs are everywhere. Starlings are not the only forest friends that is hell-bent on destroying us supposedly superior human beings. I quote, oh, everywhere there are things that are planning, making preparations. And it's not just Americans, it's all of mankind. I now quote from from an item that came from the Philadelphia Evening Bulletin. A paper that sits somberly like a large toadstool overlooking the Schuylkill River. Please, Don, if you will. If you will. Another force hell-bent.
1: Oh! yes, mankind embattled, mankind faced, once again with the
2: realization that he is not alone in the universe, that there are many forces, indescribable forces, that are bent upon his eventual destruction.
1: Alert! Mankind alert!
2: Now let this soak in here enough so that you get ready. I will award the brass feakly Bronze Oak Leaf Palm, if you can tell me whose theme song this was.
1: Ah, There are forces on all sides of us. We are in battle.
2: A runaway bulldozer went on a tear in South Philadelphia Monday night inexplicably but met its master momentarily in Patrolman Paul Rawlings. Patrolman Rawlings leaped aboard the snorting, clanking machine and rode it down like a champion bronco buster. But by the time
1: Rawlings found the right button, the bulldozer, in
2: solo performance, in a rampaging, roaring scene, had chewed up three manhole covers, 200 yards of new curbing, and a couple of Philadelphia traffic poles one great slash across the city of Philadelphia. Rawlings and his partner, Frank Barone, were headed south on 10th Street in their red car in pursuit of an automobile speedster, when suddenly, get this scene! Quick, hurry up, set it back! Oh, we can't have... no. That's it! Hold it now, hold it! Hold it now, now, I'll give you the cue. Uh, hold it, now, now, set it back now, now, set it back. No, no, no. Set it back to that point. All right. Now get the scene. They are driving along 10th Street. Driving along 10th Street. They're they're pursuing their duty. When suddenly, out of the darkness, out of the darkness, loomed a monster, smoke belching from its exhaust, its diesel exhaust. It weighed 16 tons. It was lumbering along all by itself in reverse apparently having been started somewhere by perhaps heat traction. Rawlings crawled up onto the bulldozer's cab. He pulled levers. He
1: screamed for help. Help! Help! Radio headquarters for help! And the 16-ton monster plunged along, knocking down lampposts, chewing up curves, manhole covers flying in the air, until finally, after 200 yards of this, the machine all by itself stopped.
2: is the meaning of this? A monster came out of the darkness, chewed up 200 yards of curbing, knocked down three traffic control poles, stoplights to you, threw seven manhole covers in the air, and then, that's what I wanted all along. Give me that. That's
1: it. Mankind to the rescue will stop it. Frank, George, we'll stop him. Here he comes. Ho! Oh, oh, there it is. Hey! Hooray, hooray. Patrolman Baroni has come. Oh, just in a nick of time. Here he comes. Look at him leave. Frank, take, Scott, look at him. All right, come on, Rawlings. Get on with it, will you?
2: <laughs> oh, I mean that is a thrilling. I can. I that, that's a wild piece of music, you know. Uh, R- R- Rossini threw everything he had in it. And and uh, <laughs> give me give me that one big boom. Do you? I, I will award you. I'll tell you. Since, wait in just a minute. Hold it. It's, cue it up now and hold it there. That's the place I want it. Now I will award you. Because they never. Yeah, they played this part on the show too. Can you find the part that goes... It's at the beginning of the second movement. See, you'll find, you'll find that the first movement goes along. It's a quiet, pastoral movement. It's describing the Swiss countryside, incidentally, in case you're interested. And it's the opening. Yeah, just look for it, Don. You'll find it in there. You mean you've only got one record? Only one record? Oh, that's got to be in there. Oh, I see. It's disappeared. Somebody took that part home. Uh Uh-huh. One of our friends here. Well, I'll tell you this. I will award the Brass Fig honestly, with bronze oak leaf palm. You know, it's a funny thing. The opening of that, the opening of that show, which without even... Oh, I'll, I'll do the whole thing. I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll say, in the legends of the old west. Oh, you remember that? In the legends of the old west, a masked man and his faithful Indian companion Tonto ride again. The Lone Ranger rides again. Oh, you got that pastoral in there? Give me the, give me the gasser. All of a sudden, I keep getting his tone poem in here. I mean, the Lone Ranger would run out of gas in the first five minutes against the old sheriff with that one. All right, let's try it again now. Deep in the annals of the Old West, there is a legend, the legend of a masked man who came out of the East to right the wrongs, to right the lawless, and to set the trail that would be followed by all the Western pioneers for centuries to come. He was a masked man. He rode a gigantic horse named Silver, and he rode with his Indian companion, his faithful Indian companion,
1: Tonto. The masked man rides again. Hi, oh, silver! Oh, that's what we want. Oh, oh. Can't you just see me roaring up 6th Avenue with my mask? Oh, the masked man rides again. Oh, what a gasser
2: what he used to say. Tonight's adventure starred Brace Beamer in the role of the Lone Ranger. Remember, kids, try Silver Cup. The next time you hear, Hi
1: Silver! Away!
2: music makes you want to jump right up and start a fist fight, doesn't it? And at this point, he would describe the adventure. He would say, Sheriff Frank Conroy was having difficulty with onrushing, oncoming veterans of the Civil War who had moved in their lawless way into the Old West, rampaging, making the West a cesspool of sin and vice. Frank Conroy was at his wit's end when the lovely... And then he describes the sheriff's, the sheriff's daughter when his lovely daughter Miriam was suddenly spirited away from the ranch house. And that night, there was a knock at the door. Who's there? Who's there? Who's there? I'm the mask man. You remember the mask? And, and the, the sheriff used to always say, Mask man, we don't tolerate mask men in this country.
1: There, 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 George, got to go, his arms behind him. There, mask men, will take that mask off of you. Here, Tunnel, Tonto, here, quick, quick. Boom, 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 boom. Hey, Silver!
2: Excuse me, madam. Hello. <laughs> Couldn't help it. I mean, you know, you get carried away by being carried away. Speaking of uh, faithful Indian companions, this is WOR, uh, AM and FM, New York. And uh, we'll be here until, oh, you know, I mean, you know. i tell you, though, I, I, I really will. I'll, I'll award the, the bronze palm for a listener duty above and beyond. If you can tell me, now don't look like that because this is an important question. Can you tell me what the Lone Ranger did before he went west and became the Lone Ranger? And why did he wear a mask? Aha! What kind of an American are you? Kimosabe. Can you tell me what kimosabe means? Kimo Sabe, he used to say, Kimo Sabe, me tanto. Me tanto, faithful Indian companion, lone ranger. Me tanto. And he used to say, Tanto, hurry to the town, disguise yourself as a collie dog, look into the window, and see whether or not the sheriff is preparing to put together a posse to drive the rustlers out of the South Forty. I'll wait here. Hmm, ugh, <laughs> ugh, Kimo Sabe. Oh. I owe silver away. I owe speaking speaking of coming to the rescue we have with us today the electronic workshop. And and if you've been if you've been having the the, the, the troubles that people constantly have with the electronic equipment in their home that you, and I'm not talking about, please don't think that your your vacuum and your iron are is you know people think anything they plug in is electronic <laughs> no 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 I mean things like television sets I mean things not, not but things like hi-fi is what we deal in things like preamplifiers we would like to say this that of all the places that I have known over all the years I have fooled with electronic equipment I know of I I know of only three places that I have come across three and two of them are not in Chicago uh, not in New York two of them are in Chicago Places that I know where you can really take some equipment or buy equipment and know that the guy you bought it from is going to be there the next week and you can argue with him. You don't argue with a catalog. Very few guys have successfully done it via order blanks. Believe me. I'd like to point out that the electronic workshop is the one hi-fi place that I know of in a long way that that will stand behind its equipment and will make it really worth your while for coming down to buy you know to buy from them it's just worth going there in a lot of the intangible ways first of all you you save money to begin with many of the things that they sell down at the workshop are much lower in price than in other places around town but this is beside the point uh, they they are they don't make a big deal about price even though their prices are competitive with anybody in the market the thing that they do sell, that most of the bigger places cannot sell, is this one guy behind the counter that you can argue with, who never argues, actually. I remember a thing that happened one day when I was at the workshop that I remember very well. Was a, I never saw anything like this happen in a business house. Some guy came in, and I was, I was standing around there, and I, I was buying, by the way, in case you're interested, I was buying a KLH speaker, an enclosure, and uh, I, was, I was making the deal, and I was standing there talking to one of the guys, and Len, who is the, the head man down there when Cliff isn't around. By the way, if, if you, uh, this, this is a guy to talk to if you have electronic problems. Anyway, uh, Len, Len went over to see this customer, and he was the Wilcott Gibbs ki- type. You know what I mean? The, 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 the genteel New Yorker reader type who prides himself on not knowing anything about the modern world the technicians and the, the whole business I just turn the knob you know and the music comes out this sort of thing and it takes a great pride in saying that he can't drive a car well and we have a, this is a kind of an inverse snobism you know of people who who pretend they can't drive who can't work anything anyway What's the matter Jan you look very 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 bored or something uh-huh. this this guy was that type tall thin with white hair and that look about the eye. And he says, well, I heard that if you buy a good pickup cartridge, that the music will be much better. And uh, he had read an ad for a cartridge that costs around $45. It runs to about 55 or 60 installed. And Len was talking to him, and believe it or not, Don, this is a fact, he was talking him out of buying this cartridge because he was telling him the obvious fact that with the equipment that he had, this cartridge was completely out of line. It would be like buying racing tires for a 1936 Ford. You know, you just don't need it. Uh, it's just silly. It's it's uh, it's impossible to use. And so it's like it's like buying a $400 electron microscope for a, th- a kid who's three years old and he wants to look at butterflies. And so he he says, uh, I heard that this was a very good pickup a very good pickup, a good instrument. I'd heard this somewhere. And Len was saying, look, uh, sir, uh, really, uh, this would be a waste of your money to do this. And the man could not understand it. He felt that somehow he was being taken now because the man would not take his money. And the easiest thing that Len could have done would be say, all right, fine, wrap it up, $45, well and have yep, take it away. He could have done this. And that is, by the way, what 97% of them do, knowing full well that the poor guy is going to, you know, he is going to be useless. And so, he wound up selling him a $19 ceramic cartridge, which was perfect for what his use was, and installing it free. The guy had this his his cartridge head there. You know, it was a plug-in head. And all all Len did was install it in five minutes and give it to him, and he went out. And he suspected I could see all the way out that somebody had given him some kind of a bad. <laughs> he don't even save forty dollars, you know. And th- it's this kind of an operation. And I would suggest that if you are planning to buy any electronic equipment, Harman Kardon, they have they have the the whole line of, of the the magnificent Harman Kardon FM AM tuners, this, the new stereo tuners the ones that, that are, are set up for the new multiplex systems. Have you seen any of that system work, that new FM system? Well, well, this this is really something to see. And if you're looking for a good tuner to listen to AM and FM, I would suggest you go down to, to the electronic workshop. They have a great big display of used equipment, too. But the number to call if you have problems with your hi-fi equipment, or you're afraid that you, you don't want to commit yourself, call Gramercy 3-0140 and ask them, you know, just ask them what kind of a system they can put together for what you can afford. And by the way, the midsummer is, this, is the period to buy electronic equipment, believe me. Hardly anybody buys hi-fi equipment at this time, and so hence you you get a much better deal both as a trade and as a, as a, as a cash buy. You'll find this to be very true in all of the hi-fi places. Wait another month and a half or two months, and you're right in the middle of the big buying rush again. You know, hi-fi has become a secular thing. Are you aware of that? It sells in cycles, like cars. And this is the time to do it. Gramercy Three O One Four O Twenty Six 26 West 8th Street in the village. It's the electronic workshop. Can't you just see Len coming in with his soldering iron red hot? And your 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 your, your preamp has, has blown up. And they say, here he comes, hi oh silver, land to the rescue. The
1: electronic workshop is here again. Hey, <laughs> that takes care of that buzz once and for all.
2: It was uh, simply a transistor, madam. <laughs> I just couldn't help it, you know. I'm sorry. I mean, really. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I suppose, though, you know, as we... as we, If you feel occasionally from time to time, I'd like to say this, if I may. Come to order all the out there! Have you noticed in every one of the courtroom dramas that after every comment by the witness, there is always a <laughs> Order
1: in the court. Order in the
2: court. We'll have to clear the courtroom. <laughs> uh, I, I just couldn't help it, because you see, I, I was sitting in front of a. I have a feeling that I'm in I'm in imminent danger, all the time now. Ever since I began to look at occasionally the afternoon courtroom dramas. Because, have you noticed, have you ever looked at any one of these dramas? If any of you, if any of you ever had the chance, I would like to suggest you do something. Some afternoon, watch one of these real-life courtroom dramas, you know, a continual trial that goes on and on. Have you seen these on TV? These things are very significant because they tell a great deal about what the common man feels about law. First of all, every witness who comes up before the bar who is going to testify, winds up being made to look suspicious. A sinister character. Have you noticed that on all... Have you noticed in the Perry Mason shows? Every witness is made to look like he somehow, secretly, was the one who was responsible for it. And then, have you noticed also that almost invariably, the the uh, the lawyers on both sides of the case have a sinister eye They walk back and forth, and they say, and all right now, do you mean to tell me, do you mean to sit right there in that chair with your hand raised to God, looking out over this this assembled multitude of your peers, you mean to tell me that you emptying the ice pan, the ice drip pan under your ice box the night of Friday the 13th that Thursday night of July when Harold M. Murchison was found weighted with seven sash weights at the bottom of the East River and you mean to tell me that cock and bull story? And the man sits there and looks and he says well, uh,
1: well I, 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 I think it was Friday the 13th I, 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 I'm not sure That's right, you're not sure, are you? You are not sure I object! I object! The other waiter... I object! I object!
2: You see, the point that I'm making is that the average person suspects that the law is a terrible dark ogre that's waiting to grab him. That if he ever gets near it, in any context, in any way at all, he is going... And and you'll find it everywhere in New York. Guys will be getting robbed on one street corner and other guys are walking fast on the other. I don't want to get involved in it, they say. Why? Because they're afraid of it, men are suspicious of the law, and so as you make as you make your drama about the law court, the law is a capricious thing. You notice that there's no such thing as justice. There's only luck in the law. That if Perry Mason got caught in a traffic jam for, and was held up for four minutes, every one of his clients would go to the electric chair. Everyone, <laughs> believe me, everyone. And if and and these afternoon courtroom dramas, if somebody didn't break down just thirty seconds before the final commercial, break down and blurt out, they always blurt out, the, the, the I did it, I did it. If they never broke down, the poor innocent guy invariably would go to jail. Now what what would happen if Perry Mason not only got caught in a traffic jam, but the witness that finally broke down didn't break down at all? This is secretly what everybody suspects. And everybody suspects the law of That's why millions of people secretly believe that Carol Chessman not only was not guilty of anything, for 56 different times when he was brought in, he was railroaded every time. It's this deep suspicion everybody has of the law. And it's a fascinating thing to watch. When you say, I'm sitting there watching this courtroom drama and I'm really beginning to sweat. Any minute now. You know, if, a, if a cop walks over and asks me what time it is, I, 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 I don't know. No, I, I, I uh, time, time. Uh, w- what would you say? What time is it, sir? What time is it, sir? Time. You know, time. You have a watch. What time is it? Uh, um, five minutes to five. Uh, uh, five minutes to seven. Five minutes to seven. Let me look at that watch. It's ten minutes after seven. Uh, 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 well, the light's bad. Uh, come with me. Come with me. Ah, I, 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 I no, I, I want to call my lawyer. Lawyer, you will not lead a lawyer where you're going. <laughs> so we all have the suspicion, you know. Isn't this true? There's a great deal of truth, you know, and you see it in the popular drama. You really do see truth about the secret, the secret fears that all of us have are in the popular drama, not the serious drama. Never the serious drama, because this is self-conscious. It's the day-to-day pouring out, uh, the, the the soap opera life. These are the secret worlds. Speaking of secret worlds, those of you who have become involved in reading The Village Voice are very much aware of the fact that The Village Voice is a kind of secret world. You, you know what I mean by secret world? That, that it, is, it is a complete world, all of its own. and And... It's, it's a world that really is, of course, there's no sense in, in trying to separate one world from the other. You know, one of the, one of the most amusing things that I hear all the time on the Rays, and now in the world of news, the world of news, I mean, do I live in the world of news? And then three minutes later, a guy, the same guy will say, and now in the world of sports, I mean, do the guys who live in the world of sports also live in the world of news? In other words, does a second baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals is he under the same pressures, world pressures, as I am? Since I live in the world of of what is it? You and me? Do you live in the world of news? You know? But but the world of the Village Voice is is in the essence the world of all of us. But it's it's the side of the world that hardly any of us ever see. It's it's the world of ideas. It's it's the world of of. People who want to say something, and even if they often say it badly, what they say is quite often important. And many people say nothing in the village voice superbly, you see, <laughs> which is another interesting thing. And and, and, and and I found that the ones who say nothing, the better, the best of all of them are the ones who invariably become famous. But that's just, you know, that's all side issue. But it's, it's a beautiful show. I, I look at The Village Voice as a constantly passing show. Uh, it really is. This, this paper has, has reported and recorded all kinds of things, and it's constantly referring to its past, and it's referring to the future. And in just a few years, it has become one of the most important international newspapers in America. It is read widely all over the world, you know. In fact, more people probably read it in Paris than read it in Queens. <laughs> sadly enough. Uh, sadly for the people in Queens, I might point out. And if you would like to, and the only way to know about The Voice is, don't don't pick it up on the newsstand or read one, one issue. I mean, it doesn't do you any good. It's like reading one page out of a book and deciding whether you like it. Because The Voice really is a continuing thing. I would suggest you pop for $3 for a subscription. And if you don't, I, I'll tell you this, that if you don't like it, if after you get this paper for six weeks, you just call them up and say, I, I, I don't want I don't want the paper anymore. Send me my dough back, and I know they'll do it. But this this just doesn't happen. You become hooked. Give them a call at. Are you right now? Now listen Don't call here. People keep calling here. It's Watkins four four six six nine. Give them a call right now. I mean, give it's, it's secret world editor is on duty at this moment. He he, uh, he reports on, you know. And now for our news from the secret world, here is uh, Watkins 4, 4 6, 6, 9 in New York. And you can reverse the charges. In fact, they, they want you to. So no matter where you're calling from, Philadelphia, the lost continent, no matter where you're calling from, just reverse the charges, and they'll pick up the tag. And they'll send you a bill, and you're in business. It's Watkins 4 4 6, 6 9, $3 for a year, the Village Voice. W-A-4, and, and while we're on the subject of The Voice and The Village, right down the street from The Voice, just around the corner and a couple of little jogs over, The Village, you know, is a, is a solid little community within our community, is Ying and Yang, Ying and Yang, which I believe is one of the one of the finest, one of the finest oriental restaurants in, in these United States. As a matter of fact, one of the gourmet magazines recently, as we've pointed out to you many times, uh, designated the Ying and Yang restaurant as one of the five top Oriental restaurants in the East. In fact, they said what they said was in the entire United States, but that's playing it pretty big. Even I won't claim that. But it's a magnificent restaurant, and they are open Saturday night. They're open Sunday. They have a bar. They're open seven days a week. And it's a great place to go for lunch. Uh, if, you, if you are a businessman type and you go out for lunch, you will find that Ying and yang is a, is a really interesting place to take somebody where where the prices aren't high and the food is magnificent and they'll, they'll really dig it because it is unusual. Uh, they're open every day at 12 noon and they close about 10 or 11 or sometimes as late as 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning. They're open usually after the theater. You will find them open tonight after the theater, for example. It's Ying and yang at 82 West 3rd Street. Ying and yang, the old Chinese philosophy of dark and light and sweet and sour, which is embodied in their food, yin and yang. And uh, uh, I'll tell you one thing that they do specialize in, they specialize in northern Chinese food. Uh, Most places that you eat in what we generally call a Chinese restaurant, most of them have southern Chinese, but this is a a kind of a combination of Polynesian, northern Chinese, southern Chinese, all sorts of, of interesting stuff. Ying and yang, 82 West Third Street and above anything else ask for their chicken wing appetizer. I mean I mean being a wing on a chicken <laughs> I mean, being a wing on a chicken you know there's a funny thing about about that that, that whole mystique, that whole mystique of, of, of food have, have you noticed that in our time, food and eating food, has become a major social event, a really major social event. I mean, this is the social event of the day. I mean, even if you're just sitting at your desk and eating a sandwich, somehow it's a social event. It has become a moment of importance. And, and you walk up and down the streets on the, on the east side of New York and you realize that one of the major industries in this town is the lunch industry. Now, when I say I don't mean food industry, I mean selling lunch, the whole business of lunch. The mystic, some of these places have rotten food, but they sell lunch. And I mean lunch in the sense of the credit card. They sell the whole business, you know. The whole. You know that I know some guys who don't even wear hats or coats, but will not go into a restaurant unless there's a check room. I mean, you see, you see the point of what I mean about, about selling lunch. I remember one time I'm mean, Speaking of, of uh, eating, and since this is a, a habit that all of us have been trying to break, I'm sure. Did I ever tell you about the guy I met in Chillicothe, Ohio? There's a uh, there is a guy in Ohio, who has not eaten in over 25 years. He broke himself of the habit of eating. Seriously. say, you know what he does? No, you know what he does? How how he how he gets? He drinks water. He says there are minerals in water. He drinks well water. It has iron in it, you see. It has iron. It has uh, sulfur. It has calcium. He drinks a lot of well water, and he breathes deeply. And he lives, he lives within maybe four or five blocks of a big stand of trees, and he claims that these trees give off... Very like they'll give up oxygen the trees will you, you know the smell you smell when you get near to, to, to leaves and foliage he says this is the same the essence of the same vitamin that you get out of green vegetables it's there and so he breathes deeply and once in a while for dessert he goes down and stands in front of the planter's peanut shop and breathes or he, he walks he walks into, a, into an ice cream really he hasn't he hasn't everyone is saying oh come on shepherd no this is true he has not eaten in over 25 years. And uh, he's, you know, he's, he's sure, he's he's rather thin. Uh, he's a tall, he weighs, you know, he's, he, you'd never know it. But it's fascinating to see this guy having lunch. It's incredible. I mean, it's an intriguing thing to see this guy just standing there, just... And and uh, it's funny when he invites you out to lunch. He invited me out to lunch one day. We stood around for a while, and we, we went down, and he says, uh, it took me for a real treat. He took me down to this fruit stand, and we stood in front and just breathed. And uh, you know, they had a walk past a wine shop, breathed a little bit, and went home. But I felt clean, you know. I felt wonderfully clean. And so this this whole business, you know, this whole mystique of eating has, has it's really largely habit. Speaking of habits, we have with us Lufthansa. Hey, I'd like to tell you something about eating. Did I ever tell you about the place that, that I know next oh it's about a block and a half away back on one of the side streets, back of the Bayer in Munich. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sounding very much like a world traveler type, you know. It's, I'll tell you one of the greatest sensations of world traveling is to travel to the point where when you arrive in a foreign country and a foreign city... You go back to a restaurant that you have gotten to know and you have been there several times and it is as familiar to you as, let's say, Niedix at 40th and 6th Avenue. That's a great feeling. It's a wild feeling. And the last time I was in Germany, I went into this restaurant, which I happen to know there. I've been in there a couple of times on several previous trips. And I went in. I walked right in. I knew where the door... You know, the whole thing, completely at home. I walked in and I sat down. And the, the waitress came over. And spoke to me in English. She says, well, "We are very pleased to see you here. And and uh, how are you again there? Uh, Where have you been?" And I says, "Oh, you know." And, and she went away after I had made my order. And I sat there and I thought, "Shepherd for crying out loud! You are a world traveler, a bon vivant, a sophisticate, a member of international society." And I ordered my cartouche and humphum with, with, a, with a little whipped cream on the side, and she brought me my coffee, and I sat there. It's a beautiful restaurant. And the point that I'm making here is that at three o'clock in the afternoon, all the fat house brows and all the, the, the fat businessmen all gather to drink this magnificent coffee with magnificent cream, and they have pastry. Pastry, whipped cream, and cakes that just make your eyes, you know, your eyes spin. You, you break into a cold sweat thinking about them. I can point this out to you, that if you're planning to fly the Coupe, I suggest you take a trip directly to Munich. There is no more. Beautiful city via Lufthansa. And do it early. I mean, if you're going to make the Lufthansa run, you better contact them very early in the game. Because uh, they're, 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 you know, they're real booked up. Oh. Now, look. Do you, do you have that thing up there, Don? Did you put that thing away? Hold it! I'm, you know it, it's a sad thing, but our lives are largely vicarious lives. Do you know that most of us hardly ever feel any excitement in our lives—real excitement? We watch other people pretending to have excitement on the stages. We we, we watch movies, watching other people pretending to have excitement. We listen to the radio, and we listen to Ed and Peggy talk about these glamorous p- parties at the Waldorf, you know, and Serge Obolensky, and, and again, you see, uh, uh, vicarious living. Hardly any of us. And do you know one of the reasons why there has been a great growth of classical music collection in America is because more and more people are living vicarious lives and, li- and, and, and having vicarious emotions, which music gives them? You know that? This is the fact that if you were really living these emotions, you wouldn't need them. If you really lived like this, you would not have to say, "Heyo, silver, hooray!" Put it on the high fi and stand there, you know, in front of this gigantic
1: whooper speaker. And suddenly, the Indians are riding again. My faithful Indian companion Tano is just about to return with another sheep of silver bullets. Heyo, silver, hooray!
2: Never, never. Let's let's use that as a theme today, Don. Come on. Never in the annals of the old West was a man so equipped, was a man so ready, a man so willing indeed to ride out. To to to. Come on,
1: let's go. Hail, Silver.
2: go, hey, Don, quick, hello, hello, before we go, it's all an illusion, it's just music, it's it's just music, remember, Uh is there a rancher's daughter listening who is being, who's being given a hard time by the, the sheep herders anywhere? I'm ready. I have the silver bullets. I'm ready to ride. Hi-oh, silver, away!
0: This is WOR Radio, your station for
2: news...